Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the book of James, entitled, Wisdom for Life. Uh, Take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, James chapter 5, and we will be picking up the reading from verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed that the heavens give rain, and the earth produced its crops. So we continue our series through the book of James, entitled Wisdom for Life. And James, Jesus' little brother, is going to give us wisdom, down-to-earth practical wisdom about prayer and more specifically about prayer for healing. And so he says in verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? He's referring to any kind of trouble or hardship. It could be a a, a spiritual trouble, emotional trouble, a physical trouble, a health issue, a financial issue, a relationship issue, any kind of trouble or hardship. And if there is, if anyone is feeling like that, how should we respond? He says, let them pray. You see, there are many ways that we respond to to troubles and hardships. Some of us worry. Some of us take matters into our own hands and seek revenge. Some of us let anger burn up. Others grumble. James says, pray. Now, prayer is simply talking to God. It's having a conversation to God. And within this context, in the context where you're troubled... It's about crying out to God. It's an honest and heartfelt cry to God where you tell God exactly how you're feeling. And it's a cry for help. Please help. God can handle your honesty and God invites you to pray. Now, prayer is not just for bad times, when things are tough, when things are hard. Prayer is for all times. We should always be praying. And so, James says, is anyone happy? Is everyone, things are going good for you. You know, in life, there will be times of trouble, and there will be times when you're happy. There will be bad times, and there will be good times. That's life. And there will be sad times, there will be happy times. You've uh, passed an exam, you've got a new job, you've got a promotion, uh, you've got engaged, you've had a baby, uh, you've just retired from a stressful job, you've gone on holiday. There's things to be happy about. How do you respond when you're happy? James says, let them sing songs of praise. Let them praise God. See, so often when things are going well in life, we forget about God. We forget that all the good things that are happening in our life come from God. And so James reminds us to pray. 
Sing praises to God. That's a form of prayer because our prayers, our praise is directed towards God. We're talking to God. We're singing to God. So the big point James is trying to make over here is that we should always be praying. Prayer is not just for bad times. Prayer is not just for good times. Prayer is for all times. When you're troubled, pray. When you're happy, pray. All times, pray. But James is, in this passage, is particularly focusing on a certain time. We should pray all the time. We should always be praying. But he focuses on a special time when we're ill, when we're sick. And he says, is anyone among you sick? And he's talking about any kind of sickness, any kind of health issue. He's most likely talking about a, a more serious health issue rather than just a common cold. But he's talking about any kind of, of health issue. So is anyone over here struggling with health issues? Now, I'm sure we can all make a list of people that we know within our church who are struggling with health issues. What should they do? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. In other words, let's invite Jesus into the situation. Call the elders and pray. Now, the elders were the leaders of the church. Also take note, it's plural. It's elders, not the elder or the minister, but the elders. And so within our church, the elders would obviously include me and all of our deacons and our home group leaders, and those who lead women's fellowship and wings and so on, people who are in some kind of leadership within the church. And so when a person's ill, they need to call the elders to come and pray for them. And, and the idea, of course, is that the person is too ill, too sick to come to church, so they have to call the elders to come to them and to pray for them. Also take note... It's the person who is sick who has the responsibility to call the elders. I've often heard stories of people when they've been ill who have complained, no one's come to visit me, no one's come to pray for me, poor me. Well, did you call the elders? You have the responsibility to call the elders and invite the elders to come and pray for you. Sometimes people like to suffer in silence. They don't want to bother anyone. They don't want to inconvenience anyone. So they remain silent and they suffer in silence. Very British. James says, call the elders. He doesn't say, well, you could, if you like, if you wanted to. It's just an option. You could call the elders, an optional action, part of the service. No. He says, call the elders. Now, in the Greek, the verb's in the imperative case. It's an imperative verb. It's a command. He's commanding them, call the elders. God doesn't want you to suffer in silence. We, we don't want you to suffer in silence. This is part of being a church. Part of being a church is we carry each other's burdens. We do life together. We pray for each other. So call the elders and invite them 
to come and pray for you. Now, when we're praying for the sick, and by the way, this is not limited to the elders. You can call anyone in the church, any member in the church you can call to come and pray for you. The, the elders in this context merely represent the whole church. When we're praying for the sick, there are a number of elements involved in this prayer. Firstly, there was the outward sign of laying on of hands and anointing with oil. James says in verse 14, Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Now, the, the, the phrase to pray over them implies laying on of hands. Jesus often touched people when he prayed for healing, especially if they, 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 they were considered unclean because of their disease. He would touch them. It was a way of communicating to them his compassion and his love for them. He would touch the untouchables. And so when I pray for someone who is ill, I would put my hand on their shoulder when I pray for them. I, I, if they're comfortable with that, I would ask them, oh, is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? And if they are, I would put my hand on their shoulder when I pray for them. It's a way of communicating my concern and compassion for the person. It's also a symbol and a sign for the Holy Spirit flowing into them, of the Holy Spirit flowing through me and into them when we pray. The other outward sign, it carries on in verse 14, and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Anoint them with oil. Uh, now, very interestingly, in the, in the ancient world, oil was actually considered a medicine. It was a form of medication. So, for example, if you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, what does he do? He anoints the man's wounds with oil. It, it was a medicine. So the Bible is not against medication. The Bible is not saying prayer versus medicine. No, it's saying prayer and medicine. We need both. They're complementary. But more than just the practical and the, the medical benefit of oil, oil in the ancient world had a huge symbolic role. It symbolized, within the Old Testament, it symbolized the Holy Spirit. And so by pouring a bit of oil onto the person symbolized the Holy Spirit being poured onto the person. It was a symbol of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit being poured and flowing into the person. And so sometimes, uh, not as often as I should, I would take a bit of olive oil with me. And when I pray for someone who's ill, you just dip a little bit of olive oil onto the forehead as a sign of the Holy Spirit coming upon the person to heal them. Now, both of these outward signs, the laying on of hands and the anointing with oil, they don't have any effective power in themselves. They can't heal anyone. It's just a sign, a symbol of our concern and compassion for the person and a sign and a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the power and the presence of God flowing into the person to heal them. Secondly, there's the prayer of faith. In verse 15, James says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. So what is the prayer of faith? Some people will suggest 
that a prayer of faith means when you're praying with absolute certainty, with no doubt whatsoever. And these guys would often say to the person they're praying with, we're going to pray for your healing, but you must not doubt. Now that is just terrible. I mean, that's just awful. Because sometimes the person won't be healed. And then there's only one explanation. One of us doubted. Who was it? And that's just terrible. The person's already feeling ill. They don't need guilt on top of that. Also, if it did mean, if a prayer of faith did mean you had to pray without any doubt whatsoever, that actually means we're putting our faith in our faith. It's all about our faith healing the person. Our faith can't heal anyone. God heals the person. We put in our faith, I would trust, in the power of God to heal someone. So a prayer of faith doesn't mean that we have to pray without any doubt. Okay? It doesn't mean we have to pray without any doubt. As an example, there's a, there's a story in the Gospels where a, a father of a son comes up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Can you heal my son? And Jesus says, Well, do you have faith? And, and he says, Well, I, I guess... I don't know. Uh, he actually says, as you can see there in Mark chapter 9 and verse 24, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's like saying, yeah, I've I got faith, I guess. Uh, I wish I had more. Can you help? And Jesus says, that's faith. How much faith do you need? You just need enough faith to ask Jesus. If you're asking Jesus to heal someone, you have enough faith. How do you know if you have enough faith that God can heal someone? You're praying. You're praying for healing. How do you know that you have enough faith that a chair can support your weight? You're sitting in the chair. If, if you're sitting in the chair, you have enough faith that the chair can support your weight. If you're praying, if you're asking, you have enough faith. It's not about the quantity of faith. It's about the integrity of faith, however small. And so we ask in faith. Now, when it says... No, James says, and the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Isn't James being a little overconfident here? I mean, isn't he overstating his case just a little bit? Uh, we've all prayed for someone who hasn't been healed. Sure, sure, of course, we've all prayed for many people, and they have been healed, either through God's provision of medical care or maybe by a, even a, a, a miracle. But there have also been times when we prayed for someone and they haven't been healed. It's ultimately. Everyone will be healed ultimately. Uh, when, when the Greek word translated well refers both to physical and spiritual well-being, healing. And the phrase, the Lord will raise them up, is referring to a, a sick person being raised up, getting out of bed, but it's also referring to the resurrection. People rising to new life, eternal life. 
And so when we pray for someone in faith, that person will ultimately be spiritually and physically healed. For in the age to come, there won't be any sickness. There won't be need for antibiotics or paramedics or doctors or surgeons because everyone will be healed. So the real question isn't, will I be healed? But the real question is, when will I be healed? Will I be healed today? Or will my life come to an end? And then will I experience full and eternal healing in His presence? But also, it's not an unconditional promise. It's not an unconditional. It's not a guarantee that your prayer will be answered now. It's not a guarantee that you will be healed now. It's not an unconditional promise. It's qualified. In verse 14, it says, pray in the name of the Lord. Pray in the name of Jesus. That means we're asking Jesus to heal. But it also means that we humbly acknowledge that Jesus knows what is best. We don't know what is best. We don't know everything. And so it's a way of saying, if it's your will. Jesus, please heal this guy if it's your will. We trust you. We, we trust that you know what is best and you will do what is best in this situation. So it's not a guarantee that God will answer your prayer now, but God will answer your prayer. He will either say yes, or he'll say not yet. Wait a little longer. Or he'll say, I've got something better in mind for you. Or sometimes he'll say no. And we won't know why. It will be a mystery. Paul prayed three times. In 2 Corinthians, Paul prays three times for healing, for God to remove the thorn from his side. God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. We don't know why. It's a mystery. But we trust that God knows what is best. God wants what is best, and he will do what is best. You see, God is more concerned about our ultimate and our eternal good than he is about our immediate and transient good. And so we ask in faith, knowing that ultimately the person will be healed and that they may even be healed now if it's all the will of God. And so we come to a prayer of faith is all about coming to Jesus with a very specific and direct request. It's about coming to Jesus with all your doubts which often takes more faith, and asking Jesus very specifically and very directly to heal this person and then leaving it up to him who knows what is best. Thirdly, confession. James chapter 5 and verse 15 at the end, it just moves quite seamlessly and James says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. What we discover here is that sometimes sin causes sickness. 
sometimes. It says if, that implies maybe, maybe not, if they have sinned. Sometimes sin causes sickness. Sometimes we get sick just because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes we get sick because of other people's sin. People have polluted the environment and the alike, and so we get sick. Sometimes we get sick and we just have no idea. It's just a mystery. But sometimes sin causes sickness. You see, spiritual and emotional issues like anger, resentment, guilt, stress will affect your health. They will have a detrimental effect on your health. You'll have real headaches from worry. You'll have real ulcers from, from anger and fear. You, you will, your immune system will become run down because of guilt. It, it will lead to real illnesses. It will have an effect on your body. You see, we are holistic beings. We have a mind, body, soul, and spirit. And they're all interconnected. Each one will affect the other. And we don't just want to be physically healed. We don't just want to be spiritually healed. We want to be completely healed physically and spiritually. And therefore, if you are struggling with an illness, there is nothing better than you, that you can do than ensure that you are spiritually healed, that you are right with God, that you're at peace with God, that your conscience is clear, that you can sense His love and His presence. There's nothing better that you can do than ensure that you are spiritually healed. So sometimes... Sin causes sickness. But at other times, sickness can actually reveal sin. You see, sometimes it's only when we are sick that we, we, we come to the realization that there is sin in our life and we need forgiveness. When we're sick, we suddenly feel fragile and vulnerable and weak. When we're healthy, we feel invincible. But all of a sudden, when you can't get out of bed and you've been knocked down and humbled by an illness, you suddenly get a wake-up call. You start reevaluating your priorities in life. You start getting a true picture of yourself. You start seeing your true spiritual state. You start realizing that you are a sinner, that you are selfish, that you are self-centered, and that you need forgiveness. So, Sickness and illness can actually open you up to the possibility of spiritual healing. And so James is saying we need to do both together. We should always do both together. Physical healing and spiritual healing should always be done together. And therefore, James says in verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We need to be confessing and praying to each other. That's each other. That's every one of you. That's every member. This is not just something for the elders. This is, this is for everyone. Now, I don't think James is suggesting that we need to come up and stand up in front of church, in front of everyone, and confess all. I don't think that's going to be helpful for anyone. But there are certain contexts within a home group, within a group of friends that you really trust, with your prayer partner, with a close Christian friend, where you can be open and accountable. If you feel uncomfortable with that, call the elders. 
But we need to be holding each other accountable. We need to be confessing and praying with each other to ensure that we are completely physically and spiritually healed. So are you regularly or semi-regularly meeting up with people, being accountable, openly and honestly confessing and praying with each other? Lastly, fourthly, righteousness. Uh, James says in verse 16, at the end, the the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. How many of you, your hearts just sink when you read that? You think, oh my, you spent this whole time telling me how good prayer is, and then you say it will only work if I'm righteous. Thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing. Does this mean we have to be perfect in order for our prayers to work? Well, of course not. Of course not. James uses the example of Elijah in verses 17 and 18. He says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So Elijah is this super prophet, and he has this amazing prayer life of prayers being answered. I've tried this prayer. Living in Wales, I've tried this prayer of praying that it would not rain. It's never worked for me. So this guy, he's he's good at praying. But James says he is just a human just like us. And when we look at him, we think, wow, this is superhero. I can just imagine all the little Jewish boys with little action figures of of Elijah. Amazing guy. But he's just like us. If we go back and read 1 and 2 Kings, we discover he's just a human. He gets depressed. He gets scared. He's imperfect. But he was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. He had a heart for God. He loved God and he prayed. Being righteous in this context is all about being in a right relationship with God. It's about, you know, the the more you love God, the more you want to spend time with God, the more you pray, the more you get to know God, the more your will gets in line with His will, the more effective your prayers are. Because you know God, you know the heart of God. So quite simply, the more you pray, the more effective your prayers become. So let's pray more. Let's pray more with each other. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray with each other. Now, normally at this point of the service, I would pray. But James says at the beginning of his letter, we mustn't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And it's all about us praying for each other. And so what we're going to be doing now, rather than me just praying for you, you're going to pray for each other. So just in groups of two, is ever sitting next to you, or maybe three, if there's three of you, uh, we're just going to pray for each other. If you feel uncomfortable praying aloud, that's absolutely fine. Just pray in your heart. Just say to the person, is there anything I can pray for? And they'll tell you, and you say, great, I'll pray for you. Close your eyes, pray in your heart, that's fine. If you and the other person feel comfortable, you could put your hand on their shoulder. If you're happy to pray out aloud, do pray out aloud. It's very encouraging for the person to hear the prayers, but if you don't feel comfortable with that, just pray in your heart. And uh, if you're going, well, I don't have anything to pray for. James says, if you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, pray. Always pray. There's got to be something. So if you've got nothing to pray for, you can pray that you, about you don't have anything worrying at the moment. Give God thanks for that. Things are going well in your life. It doesn't have to be long. It just has to be a sentence or two, a couple of seconds, just to pray for each other. So that we're actually doing 
what James says, rather than just being entertained. Um, so I think that will be true to the essence of, of the book of James. So just for a couple of seconds, get into groups of two or three and just pray for, for each other. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.